This is NBR's Live from the Hive, a compilation of the week's top stories straight out of the beehive. Do you have something to add? Head over to nbr.co.nz and join the discussion. With the new coalition government in its first week, there's a sense it will be more supportive of the mining and fishing industries. I'm joined by Oceans and Fisheries Minister Shane Jones, who is also Minister for Resources. So let's start with resources. Um, offshore, the, the ban on offshore exploration for gas and oil, that's gone. Mm. What's behind that move? Well, resources has been carved off from the energy portfolio. Historically, it was all um, bound together. Obviously, all of the parties have campaigned on um, removing the ban. Whether or not investors come back in a short or measurable period of time, that answers up in the air because there are long lead-in periods, but more importantly, quite a few of them, I think, were scared away, possibly for good, sadly, due to the decision that was announced back in 2018. Uh, We regard gas as an essential input to the uh, medium to long-term journey in terms of getting better uh, net zero carbon outcomes. Uh, We're deeply concerned that areas such as the West Coast, which have suffered for a very long period of time, that their um, legacy industries should not be closed down. Uh, There are already people legitimately mining on the West Coast. Um, As as I understand, um, their mining entitlements uh, are due to be extended. So those matters, they they need to be seen not just through the prism of um, climate hysteria, but they need to be seen through the prism of regional resilience, jobs, overseas income, and quite frankly, turning around the narrative that has um, defined those parts of New Zealand for over 25 years. So is you talking about coal then on the West Coast, is it? Both coal and uh, gold. When I was the Provincial Growth Fund Minister, I actually funded a gold mine down there. And uh, it's been a raging success and uh, I put to your listeners, why is it morally acceptable for us to quietly import all the coal from Indonesia to keep the lights on, but we won't stand up and enable natural resource advancement to take place in New Zealand where we are surrounded by gold and coal? How do you match up, though, with the the climate change goals, the emission reductions targets, do, do, do you, are you still um, committed to those? Yeah, well, obviously um, the entirety of the government is committed to all the coalition agreements, and the coalition agreement clearly states that climate change policies must align with uh, uh, energy security. And if it uh, means that we secure an ongoing flow of energy, electricity, by utilising coal, which we're already doing, then that's going to be a key feature of how we keep the lights on. Of course we should continue to support um, solar and wind energy, but, you know, the shrillness and loud voices and cacophony that has surrounded the climate debate, it's been in inverse proportions to the pace at which we've changed our regulatory system in New Zealand to expedite the developments of wind farms, solar farms. I mean, a wind farm just got turned down in the South Island. 
And that, that's always made me feel that uh, the hysteria surrounding the language of climate change, in my view, is just that. If we're not going to change the law and the legal frameworks in New Zealand, then we obviously don't have a climate change crisis. So you'd rather, I guess, open up more on that side rather than shut down the southern side of the... Exactly, exactly. Uh, when I go around regional New Zealand and look at the number of populations that have become depopulated, and I even look at my own nephews all decamping to Australia to dig up Australia, we're um, subject to robust environmental consenting processes. We have those resources in New Zealand. The uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern banned mining on conservation land. She made a mistake doing that. We didn't even know that was in her prime ministerial speech until New Zealand first heard her utter those words. Uh, she soon learnt that conservation land is at least one-third stewardship land. And stewardship land is not dock land. Stewardship land was left over as residual bits and pieces from the old days of the Lands and Survey. And it was never contemplated that it would permanently be embedded in the dock estate. So how much more development then in terms of mining in that estate do you expect to see? Well, obviously, the difficulty at the moment is do investors, either domestic or international, do they still have confidence in New Zealand? And, and I feel that if we can improve the consent allocation process, reduce the period of time that it takes to get a consent, um, give some robustness to what the Prime Minister said during the, uh, the campaign, that it, it is, if you approach these issues with some sensitivity, possible to expand mining. But I guess might they be worried about what happens at some time in the future when there is a change of government, whenever that is, and whether there might be a swing back the other way? Well, unless we're going to start living in a Marxist communist regime, and we just try and we narrowly averted that fate over the last uh, recent time, once you have your statutory entitlements, they should not be grandfathered out of existence. If, um, for example, ocean ranching for salmon or other types of fish growing opportunities, once you have those rights, and they should be given for a um, handsome period of time, they cannot and should not be arbitrarily stripped from you. And the same thing goes for the mineral sector. Back to, to gas and coal, I mean, I spoke to John Carnegie, and, and his argument is that they really see the sector see gas as that transition fuel, and that using more gas cuts the necessity to use coal for electricity generation. Do you do you see it that way? Well, I think gas is a, probably a, a more climate-friendly um, option. Um, but I'll tell you what is the most critical option, is ensuring that our electricity sector uh, continues to generate the power at a reliable, affordable and um, dependable basis. And that's why from time to time we're having to rely on coal. But if there is a role that gas can play with greater confidence around the government's attitude towards it, um, that's not a bad thing. But I feel that a key failing is there is no clear pathway. There is no clear energy strategy. There is no clear roadmap. Now, I know Megan Woods promised to deliver one, and it's been in the gestation period something which would rival the sort of gestation period of Tyrannosaurus Rex, 
but it has not emerged. So until such time that that uh, roadmap emerges, um, people are going to be riddled with uncertainty. So when will that ban on offshore um, gas and oil exploration come off? When, when will these changes come into effect where businesses can actually then start to determine whether they might want to explore or mine? Well, obviously it's a feature of the 100-day plan. Um, the government uh, has a 100-day plan. Uh, the Prime Minister has already referred to it. And um, that particular announcement uh, represents quite an important feature to the uh, coalition agreements which all parties comprising the government are um, obliged to put into effect. Shane Jones, thank you for your time. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. The new coalition government has been sworn in today. To talk about what that will mean for business, I'm joined by Auckland Business Chamber Chief Executive Simon Bridges. First, before we talk about that, you've had the experience of being sworn in as a minister. What what will ministers be feeling like today, particularly those new ministers? Um, well, they'll probably be a bit nervous. I, maybe it was just me, but I remember being nervous. All you, I think, actually have to do is read some lines uh, that are presented before you. Um, and depending, I, I, I think from memory, depending on whether you like the Bible or not, you do it on that or, or, or otherwise. Um, and so at one level, you know, you should be quietly confident about that. But it's your first time. You've never done it before. You don't want to be the one Burke who kind of gets the script slightly wrong and is asked by the clerk to repeat it. Um, but, but of course, more than that, the first time is very special. Um, I remember it well. Uh, I, I, I can't remember which minister's misfortune meant my fortune as I moved up from being a select committee chair to a new minister outside of cabinet. I was very young um, and it's a great family affair actually because you're there with the prime minister, uh, with the governor general. Uh, and in my case, it was Jerry Mataparai and, and uh, his wife. Um, and I was there with a wide extended whānau, really. My, my wife, children, at that stage, one child, and my in-laws, my mother, my uh, father. my and, and, and those photos, actually, even though it's, look, a long time ago, um, we still have them. They're on the wall somewhere. And, uh, and uh, you know, you look back on it very fondly. So probably a ner- nervous thing, but a special thing the first time. And, of course, after that... Um, the next time you get new portfolios, different warrants, um, it's not quite as special. It's a bit more perfunctory. But that first time, uh, yeah, very special. And for a new government, um, at that time when everyone's doing it together, that's just an added significance, of course. And, of course, now that they're sworn in, they've got to get to work because they've made a whole lot of promises yeah. about what they'll get done in their first 100 days. Yeah. I mean, particularly, I think, before Christmas, they're talking about... Um, putting an end to fair pay agreements, mm. uh, scrapping the legislation to replace the Resource Management Act. Mm. I mean, from a business perspective, you know, what will that mean? Look, I am very optimistic, actually, more than I expected to be from the coalition agreements. I look at those agreements with uh, National Enact and National New Zealand First, 
And I think business can have a real sense of, um, as I say, optimism. I mean, if I go through the handful of things I think that look very good from an Auckland business perspective, crime, uh, a firmer approach to that, that's desired from business. I see that time and again from surveys. Inward investment, I think is very important. And uh, we see in the National Act Agreement that there will be changes there, really to make it a simpler, better process. I hope they overhaul quite significantly. Business wants that. I think of Bill Foley, right, the guy who's got the uh, uh, the the wine interests and so on, that, that, and, and is starting now the uh, professional soccer team. You know, we want more of that. I think um, in terms of infrastructure, there's high ambition, but critically what business wants across the board, board but certainly in infrastructure, is a working with approach. And uh, quite clearly it's signalled in the documents and what the, the, the politicians are saying is that there'll be more of a you know an approach with the private private sector around know-how, funding uh, and finance. Um, look, I think technology, I think Minister Collins um, has gripped that up well. She's engaged well with the sector. There's a sense of ambition, hope that things are going to happen in that space. And we need that if we want to be a more productive, uh, high-earning uh, economy. Um, I think, look, more than that, city deals, I think that's a good s- sign. Um, we want to see our councils working better and being enabled. Um, so there, I think, a few of the areas, actually one other, uh, I think rounds out about six or seven things I thought were important, um, and that is around regulation. Uh, you, you alluded to it with the fair pay agreements, which broadly speaking, I'd put in that. But I think a new minister for regulation, I think a sense of less cost and compliance uh, on business in areas such as fair pay, the 90 days trial, that will be not welcomed by all, I accept that, but certainly welcomed by business. Um, so I think, yeah, the... The agreements give a real sense of optimism to me and I think for business who is watching, um, for for business generally too. So how quickly will business want to see these changes made? Well, my message prior to the agreements uh, and seeing the, the, the I's dotted and the T's crossed there was, you know, don't expect instant nirvana overnight. That was what I was saying. Um, actually, I come out of it, as I say, I'm repeating myself, but really rather more optimistic. I think they, they actually did spend that time putting a lot of policy in place um, and or, or agreement in place. And so I think things in terms of that 100 days, I was somewhat cynical, I've got to say. I, I, I can see, actually, they must have a bit of a pipeline there and be ready to go on a few things, whether it's in that employment space or possibly uh, health and safety or some other areas, or as you say, the RM uh, uh, law. Now, at one level, you can be a little bit um, dismissive and say, well, that's the easy stuff. Um, getting rid of things is easy. And there's an element of truth to that. But I think it will nevertheless help bolster some already growing business confidence and give a sense that there's some momentum here, which is all important uh, in the lead up to Christmas. Then I suppose what we'd expect to see is harder reform work. That'll take much longer, you know, whether it's around substantive replacements in the area of three wars. Uh, or resource management or, or other areas besides. And um, that remains to be seen. But I think, uh, come back to what we can see here is three party leaders and their, their um, leadership teams who've worked through more than I expected them to. I think what's also interesting is, you know, we might have expected Chris Luxon as a new um, uh politician actually not just prime minister to come out of the second best but but i think he's he's put together very good um deal from a national 
party perspective um, in terms of the portfolios and so on. They've kept rather a lot, it seems to me, most of the key portfolios, albeit Act in New Zealand first have extracted quite a bit in a policy sense that give the government, as I think some commenters say, quite a rightward leaning um, uh, dispositional flavour. What about tax? What do you expect there? I don't see a lot in that space. You know, I think what we will see is, you know, and I haven't gone through line by line, but is um, uh, the, 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 the tax relief package that um, Chris Luxon and Nicola Willis uh, campaigned on, albeit with it funded differently and been a lot of commentary on that. And I suppose we'll see things in the house, housing area as well, which is outlined in those agreements. Beyond that, and it's why explicitly didn't list it in my six or seven things, I don't know that we necessarily expect to see much, if anything, this this term. In fact, I think that not that part of um, one or other of the coalition agreements that they're not necessarily up um, for that? I think from a business perspective, that's something of a lost opportunity. I wouldn't overplay it, but something of a lost opportunity because actually, you know, um, corporate tax, um, uh, cost, compliance, um, issues around depreciation, um, these are quite significant matters. And indeed, in terms of attracting top talent, uh, either internally in New Zealand or from offshore, that top uh, personal income tax rate is also, I think, uh, a bit of an issue. But So we know, I think, what we're getting. I think we kind of know that we're not getting much else either would be my sense of it. Simon Bridges, thank you for your time. Thanks very much. NBR are offering a free trial to newcomers. See what all the fuss is about on our flagship website, nbr.co.nz. Beehive banter, where a lot can happen in a week. You know, it seems only yesterday that you, Brent Edwards, said the idea of two people sharing the deputy PM's role was, and I quote, a silly idea. It's, and yet, it's still here we are with just that. Eh? It's still a silly idea. It's a, <laughs> it is a bit of a silly idea, isn't it? I don't know why they went first half, second half. Why don't they just do week about? Or day about. Or day about. That would have been even more enjoyable. And yet here we are. So look, from no government to one, where on the day they were sworn in, Winston went to war with the media. He doubled down on day two, himself saying, he was at war with them. And the new Prime Minister's first after-cabinet press conference also kind of agreeing with Winston over the apparent bribe-taking or what could be perceived that way. How did you see it? Well, look, the use of language. I mean, saying he's going to, he's at war with media and with journalists, I mean, it, that, that, that's not particularly helpful. Um, and, you know, as Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Foreign Affairs, and the great irony is in a... A day or so later, he's you know talking to the American business um, group about you know the great thing of democracy, American democracy, New Zealand democracy, and you know freedom of speech and all of that sort of stuff. Or you know freedom of press is also part of that. I mean, the other great irony is with his criticism of the um, public journalism uh, fund is that New Zealand First had a, a media policy which also involved giving money to the media, <laughs> including investigating the idea of giving tax breaks to uh, people who bought subscriptions or to corporate sponsors of 
news organisations. So it's not as though um, New Zealand First wasn't prepared to do stuff along Well, Peter's, line. in fact, signed off on the first package of 50 mil, mm. not that second of 55, but yeah. the first one. Yeah, was yeah. There. yeah. So, I mean, I, I think none of it's particularly helpful at all for the government because, you know, there's been a lot of coverage of that which might frankly be overblown, because this is typical Winston Peters. He's run a strategy for about 30 years or more of, of being in a battle with the media, and he's used that to always demonise the media for his supporters. We've always believed that the media have treated New Zealand first badly. Well, someone said to me today, very well, he could have just, we could have all fallen for it, and that way we've taken our eye off the other things he doesn't want us to talk about. Well, that's right. I mean, I, I probably think that in a way there's been too much focus on it in terms of the news coverage and partly that's driven by the fact that the news media organisations themselves obviously have a, a big interest in it and they kind of rightly want to defend themselves around issues of, to do with freedom of speech and the like, freedom of the press. Um, and But I think from the government's point of view and from you know Christopher Lux and the Prime Minister's point of view, you know to be asked a lot of questions around that at his first post-Cabinet news conference I don't think that was particularly helpful to him either when he might have wanted to have a lot more focus on well, the 100 days, Well, well, he did. Well, he, he, of course he did. Uh, but before I get there, the now leader of the opposition, Hipkins, we remember him, he says that um, Luxon needs to pull Winston into line. But he's just not. Yeah, look, all prime ministers who have dealt with um, had Winston Peters in government have always, in a way, had to kind of, oh, I can recall talking to a few who... Said, you know, they just wish Winston Peters wouldn't say some of the things he did, <laughs> but he will. That, that, and um, so I think probably Christopher Luxon is just stealing himself for that. Um, I don't think he needs to come out and defend him though, in a way which he almost ended up doing. Well, he, he defended yeah. what he was saying, yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah well, he had yeah, problems with yeah, it too. And, it's like, yeah, and then uh, saying it was all about perception. It's like, yeah, 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 but he, he should be critical of the language because, as I say, that term war on yeah. journalists, I mean, it, it carries some connotations. And we are seeing a lot more hostility to the media than I can ever recall over the last you know, 40 years I've been a journalist. Yeah. Uh, well, Luxon's 100-day uh, plan is, in fact, uh, it's a doozy. Now, uh, I'm going to go through some of it. Uh, repealing three waters, RMA, speed limit reductions, Polytech merger off, Auckland Light Rail, removing Auckland Regional Fuel Tax, a repeal fair pay, disestablishing the Māori Health Authority, and so, so much more. In fact, 41 more, to be precise. When you looked at that list, did you raise an old eyebrow? An old eyebrow. Well, either of you, either of them. <laughs> no, I mean, Christopher Luxon made the point, he said, that they, this government would be doing more in 100 days than the previous government had done in six years. But if you go through the list, much of the list is just stopping stuff. Yeah. And actually, that's pretty, that's pretty easy to do. I mean, it's, so more, of more interest will be the stuff they're going to do. And when they really lay out the plans for that, I mean, there was some some in that hundred day plan, but most of it is stopping stuff that the previous government had put in play, and national well, coalition government is going to stop it. Um, next week, when you get the speech from the throne, maybe we'll have a much better outline of well, what is it that this government is really going to do? What will be the constructive policies that it will put it put in place? I mean, Luxon said that judge me by what we do in the 100 days, but at the end of the day, he didn't really put any KPIs on there. He said things like, I oh, will start this and we'll start that. Well, that's right. As I say, I mean, a lot of it is, is, is stopping things, which they'll probably they'll be able to do, and then the other stuff, as you're right, is, oh, we'll start work on this. Well, yeah, it, that's easy, because you're never going to get things... I mean, things that you start, you know, in terms of policy initiatives, that, that particularly that will need legislation... That will never get done in 100 days. And he may no. 
he may not even introduce some of that legislation within 100 days because there is a process they have to go through. They have to get policy advice. has to go through Cabinet. Cabinet then has to agree to it. Then has to give drafting instructions. Then has to go to Parliamentary Council for the legislation to be drafted before it goes back to Cabinet for approval. Oh, I mean, that, that's, you do that in days. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm raising both well, eyebrows they're going to be doing some of it in days if we're going to have a mini-budget we've talked about. Hey, look, we haven't mentioned the Greens for weeks. Uh, in fact, I've almost forgotten about them. Um, so only fair to see what they have said about that 100-day uh, plan. Um, a random, visionless and harmful grab bag of policies. Yeah, I think that was... And then they sent James Shaw over to uh, COP23. Well, I think it was um, Marama Davidson saying that. I mean, obviously, you know, and but when you look at that um, 100-day programme, though, you can see why we're, from a, a Green Party perspective, it will raise a whole lot of concerns around getting rid of fair pay agreements, around getting rid of the clean car discount. So, so a lot of issues that the Greens are, are pretty strong on in terms of, I guess, social issues and climate change and environmental issues... Um, what the coalition is proposing to do certainly runs counter to their policy. So you'd expect to see a lot of opposition from the Green Party and, and I think it's well signalled from the Labour Party. I wonder if James Shaw will be sitting next to the current minister on their way. Well, not not on their way there. I mean, the current minister's not leaving until next oh, week. So. so a different flight. I think different flights. <laughs> one, one, one will emit less in carbon than the I was going to get to that. And I thought, no. And then, of course, remembering where it is and the fact that it's an oil-producing uh, country that's had lots of meetings about oil. Anyway, now Luxon has a great meeting, speaking of which, with Adrian Orr this week. Now, this despite the Reserve Bank saying another hike could, in fact, be in the pipeline and interest rates will remain high for much longer through to 2025. Now, Luxon's saying it was due to economic vandalism on a scale not seen before by the previous Labour government. Is that right? We haven't seen this type of vandalism before? Well, I'm not quite sure what he exactly means by economic vandalism. I, but I, I remember mean, someone saying, good luck, Mr. Yeah, you can, Yeah, you can go back to Robert Muldoon and other times. I mean, you can go back to times when the economy and the government books have been in much worse shape than they are now. So, uh, but, you know, that's politics. And um, you'll, you'll get, um, you know, you've had the Labor government when it came in. Every new government blames the government before for leaving them a mess. Um, he reckons that we're going to get details of these cliffs that there's no money for before yeah. Christmas. Have you got any idea what they're referring to? Oh, look, I'm not specific, poli- but there are policy programmes that are funded just for three years. Yeah. And then a government of the day comes up to it and thinks, is that working? Do we want to put more money into it? And they make a decision in a budget to keep... I mean, the whole... Because this government... It sounded like this, that wasn't but, that. Well, I don't know. I don't know what he means if otherwise, if it's not. But uh, the, we had the PREFU, the pre-election economic fiscal update. That lays open the government's yeah. books. So I'm but not then why did Nicola Willis turn so awesome? Big surprise, look, and I'm going to tell you about uh, it. Yeah, I, I think this will be more politics than reality, to be honest. But let's wait and see well, what she comes up with. all right, then let's with. talk about politics. These changes to the Reserve Bank's mandate, which is one of the first things that they're going to do, uh, which the Reserve Bank was well aware of. Is it going to actually make any difference at all? Because some commentators are saying, look, even if that you aren't mandated to look at, say, unemployment, they still do look at it. It's just a matter yeah. of course. Look, I'm not sure that it will make any real difference. And Adrian Orr made the point um, this week um, 
when he was discussing the monetary policy announcement they made, that the bank has always, though, given primacy to inflation anyway, even with this, the dual mandate of having yep. to look at employment. So what difference it will make? I mean, look, the interesting thing around the politics of that, of course, is National Party for months, for years, in fact, had attacked Asian ore and had said he should not have been reappointed as a governor um, before they came into yes. power and what have you. But now, apparently, it looks as though they're, all good, they're all good mates. Good mates. Um, you know, the Prime Minister is very confident about the Reserve Bank and the way it's dealing with inflation. So, you know, that's what happens. Well, he's One minute you're in opposition. He's not, gonna say, he's not going to say anything else, is he? Because what would happen to the dollar if he said that straight away? Yeah, wait for the Labor Party to start <laughs> criticising the Reserve Bank and Asian oil. Yeah, yeah. Well, Grant is staying on now, apparently, to do just that. Well, he is staying on a finance spokesperson, yes. Yes, there you go. Oh, well, now, speaking of smiles, other tobacco industry must be smiling with the government plans to scrap smoke-free laws, dismay from most organisations and sectors, and boy, did the world media react. Our next government is scrapping our vaunted laws. The Independent UK reported that as a reversal, France's the incumbent government will jettison world-leading measures to curb smoking. Euronews reported it was a win for the tobacco industry. Um, it's just silly, Brent, really, isn't it? This is, I mean, it, even trying to justify it's even sillier. Yeah, well, I mean, they have got themselves into trouble. I mean, it is worth pointing out they are cancelling amendments to the law that haven't yet come into effect. So, so the, the, nothing that's in effect at the moment will be rolled back. But there were changes coming in that were going to reinforce this drive to drive down smoking. They're getting rid of. Uh, and I don't think Nicola Willis helped it by talking about how the money they'd save on that would go towards tax cuts, particularly when a lot well, of those... Well, they indicated lot, that the reason for this is just that. Yeah, and a lot of the tax cuts that was going to go to landlords. So, yeah, it, not a great look. And when you look at, you know, all the health groups um, and what have you coming out against this, I mean, it's hardly a great start for the government in terms of how they've polarised opinions so It's been three so days of chaos, four days of chaos, hasn't it? Winston oh, I don't and Aldous. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know about <laughs> chaos. I mean, we love to throw that word chaos around. I'm, I think the government's very clear about what it's doing. But one of the things it said, though, was, you know, Christopher Luxon kept on saying about how, you know, this government, they would bring back unity after d division and what have you. But, in fact, obviously, lots of groups are now already kind of quite annoyed by what the government's doing. And that will always be the case. If you're going to change policy... You can't keep everyone oh, happy. Oh, well, you could just say, oh, let's just get it all over and done with in the first sort of week. But, you know, all I can <laughs> say, you know, that decision on, um, you know, the anti-smoking legislation, you know, there's something smelly about that. Yes, someone needs to stub it out. <laughs> there you go. All right. Very quickly, <laughs> the House is back next week straight into urgency. No surprise. Well, not straight into urgency. They have to go through... Yeah, the 19 next, hours and blah. Yeah, yeah, from right. the throne, well, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. So more like and then a, straight into urgency. Yeah, but likely the week after. Yeah. But, but Thursday will be interesting um, because that will be the first question time. So it will be interesting to see then Christopher Luxon as Prime Minister up against... Chris Hipkins as opposition leader, roles reversed. Yes, exactly. Now, I've just was that, uh, I've just been told even that you've been talking far too long. So we have to go now. So as usual, we appreciate you taking the time. The coalition government has pledged to unite the country after what it says was years of division under Labour. To discuss, let's bring in NBR's political editor Brent Edwards. So Brent, what division is the government trying to resolve? Well, much of the division that um, National Act and New Zealand First referred to um, 
before the election, and I guess which they reference now is a division they say was um, created by the government's push on co-governance um, and, and issues around from New Zealand's perspective on the use of Te Rao Māori in terms of naming government departments and the like. And that, they say, is the kind of division that's been um, caused by the, the previous government. Exacerbated by COVID or, or what? Um, well, possibly. I mean, obviously, COVID caused divisions of of a nature, and, and I guess New Zealand First is also trying to pick up on that because as part of its coalition agreement, it wants the um, inquiry into the COVID response expanded and made more public and the like. And clearly, I think would love to see the blame directed very much at the previous government. Uh, not the New Zealand first part of that government, which remember they were part of the government mm-hmm. in the first three years, um, but for the response. So yeah, a range of issues um, that they're that they're looking at in terms of you know that argument around division and this claim that you know that they'll unite the country. Will they succeed? Well, it's kind of hard to see how they will succeed because it kind of implies that we're all, we're all going to agree, everyone's going to agree on sort of everything, and that's never the case. Um, and you think if you, if you take the issue over um, co-governance and over mm-hmm. the use of Tarawa Māori, I mean, that's already creating division in terms of what the government's proposing to do now on that, um, particularly, obviously, among Māori and iwi who are concerned about that. But if you look at a range of other issues that have happened, I mean, I guess, you know, you look at um, deductibility for landlords, well, that's upsetting renters, if you like, um, changes that they'll scrap the fair pay agreement, that's upsetting obviously some unions, but I guess those um, low-paid workers in those sectors that might have thought that they would um, benefit from that. Uh, you think what they're doing on smoke-free mm. legislation, well, that's upset the, the health sector by and large. Um, I think the education sector seems to be a bit upset with some of the proposals. So, you know, is that division? Is that unity? I, I don't know. It's mm. I, it's always, I mean, that term, you know, unity. You'll, you'll never get unity where everyone agrees on everything. There are questions too about its fiscal policy. Yep, and they, those questions have come up uh, in relation to, obviously, the, the ACT Party and its coalition agreement has got that deductibility of interest for landlords. Well, that, it's it's fronting it up, it's, it's bringing it up and faster and at increased levels to what National's plan was. Now, the CTU economist um, has, um, Craig Rennie, has looked at it and estimated that that might add a billion dollars in cost. Now, people will argue about the cost, but clearly it is going to cost more because they're going to fast-track the deductibility. They were already facing issues around the um, affordability of the tax cuts, where the money was coming from. They've had to dump the foreign tax, so where did that? So you know, so this is a, this toing and froing over fiscal holds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of debate around that, and we've already had the finance minister Nicola Willis suggest that there are some nasty surprises, and clearly, I think the government will try and blame the previous government because oh look. Uh, but as um, the former finance minister Grant Robinson has pointed out, look, you know, the books were opened in the pre-election economic and fiscal update, so it'll be surprising to see that there aren't st- stuff as it none. Always there's stuff that's coming up because I think um, Nicola Willis has alluded to the fact that there's some programs that aren't funded beyond next year or the year after. Well, there are all, that's always the case in budgets. There yeah. are funding, funding. There's long-term funding for stuff that just kind of gets paid out, but there are programs where there is always limited funding and. Governments have to decide in future budgets whether they're going to continue to fund those. How serious are some of these criticisms then? Well, you know, we haven't yet seen the detail. Uh, We haven't seen 
Nicola Willis hasn't actually unveiled, well, what are those surprises? Mm. Um, I think some of the numbers are still a bit unclear, but there's enough to know that, you know, with some of the spending that's already baked into the in, the government, the new government's sort of projections, you know, there, there are some issues. And they've always said that in the National Party's fiscal plan that they, they had buffers set in about, I think, 9.9 billion, I think, for operating spending, about 8 billion for capital spending. But they've kept on referring to that on a number of issues now. I mean, mm. soon that all, and that's over three or four years, so soon all that money will be sucked up. So there won't be anything left for any other new initiatives that they might have to uh, engage in. So, what's happening before the end of the year? There'll be a mini budget? Um, yes, and Nicola Willis is promising a mini budget, but she's put the emphasis on mini. Um, you know, Parliament will, re- will sit for the first time in this new session next week it'll open uh, and so then there'll be I think a busy period of a couple of weeks or so up till Christmas putting through whatever they need to do in terms of the 100 day plan to get stuff in before Christmas Um, you know that's likely to like scrapping fair pay agreements and what have you and whatever might be needed legislatively and I'm not sure what out of this mini budget but as I said uh, Nicola Willis has put the emphasis on mini. Watch this space Brent Edwards thank you And that's been this week's Live from the Hive. Thanks for listening.